I'm Erin Gibson, and this is Getting Old. care for an aging parent, you live in a cycle of worry and exhaustion. Bureaucratic programs are confusing, financial decisions are frustrating, and witnessing your mom or dad lose their independence is devastating. If you've experienced any of this, you'll agree. This is getting old. This podcast is for the caregivers. If your parents are living independently, but need a little extra help these days, if you're caring for them in their home or yours, or if they're in assisted living or a nursing home, it all can feel really lonely for them and for you. I'm Erin Gibson, and I want to tell your stories about caring for your parents. Why? Because stories make us feel like we're not so alone. They give us a glimpse into someone else's experience and they help us learn from each other. In this first episode, I'm sharing my story. Well, it's not mine. It's my mother's story about caring for her mother, my grandmother, Ida Mae Hardig. She lived to be 97. She lived independently in her own home until she was 93. That's when a series of health issues led to her needing 24-hour care. Here's my mom, Darlene Johnson, telling her story about her experience with my grandma in her final years. My mother um, has been a central part of my life since my dad passed away in 2010, and she was staying at her own house by herself and my sister was checking in on her a lot because she lived right near her. She would call me in the morning, check in, and she'd call in. I'd talk to her several times during the day over the phone. She was also coming to my house um, after daddy passed away. My sister would bring her to my house and she'd stay at my house all day and have lunch and dinner with us and then we would take her home. In um 2014, in January, she had a stroke. My sister Janice, we had talked about this. If anything happened, it was going to be her and I that were going to be doing, taking care of things. Mom was in the hospital. They were planning on trying to send her to rehab. And for some reason, my sister and I wanted to try and take care of her at home. And so we talked with her doctor and said, could we try keeping her at home? And he, he told us it was going to be a pretty big, pretty big chore to do. But we said, well, we'd just like to try it. Could we try it for maybe a week or something? And if it doesn't work, could we maybe then place her in a facility to get the rehab she needed? And he agreed. Tell me about how um, 
the rest of us reacted to you and Janice deciding that this is what you were going to do? Both my daughter Erin and Janice's daughter Stacy thought we were had lost our minds, and they did. They were totally not for us doing that. And uh, <laughs> Stacy and I were on the texting back and forth and calling back and forth. And Stacy and I were not usually in contact. I mean, this is just you know we'd see each other at grandma's. That's when we'd see each other. <laughs> But then, you know, Grandma's getting out of the hospital, and we knew about the feeding tube, and we knew that, you know, the doctor was saying this is going to be hard. And I know that both of us thought that was going to be... We just we just thought this was really the worst idea possible, <laughs> frankly. Um, and so I think, I don't know, how did that... <laughs> what did that do for you and Janice, you know, that relationship? I mean... Knowing your daughters were kind of... We were, I guess we were basically hell-bent on doing what we wanted to do. We we knew how our mom, uh, how your grandmother reacted when she would be in the hospital. We knew she didn't do as well at the hospital or in that kind of setting. And we knew that the best thing... For her was to be at home, and I, I honestly believe we weren't even thinking at all about what it was going to do to us. We lived with, we just stayed there at mom's, and neither one of us went home. Janice lived just a little ways away, so she could just walk back to her house. But um, I was there most of the time. I don't think I had a break for. A while. I don't know how the first time I did get to go home, but I was basically living at her house. The first week, both my sister and I wondered what we had were thinking when we got into the whole thing. We we thought, you know, this is harder than what we thought it's going to be, because she needed, you know, a a lot of care. It wasn't she, she had to have everything. She wasn't able to walk or anything, and so. <clears throat> her bathroom things and all that, we had to help her with all of it. She had a feeding tube, so that was kind of odd to get used to. After the first week, we took her back to the doctor to have her checkup, and the doctor was just thrilled at how well she was doing. He said, don't you think she's doing wonderful? She's Look how good she looks. And we, both my sister and I like, were like, what about us? <laughs> what do we look like? Because... We were exhausted, you know, just exhausted. But we were thrilled as well because we were doing a really good job with her. So the stroke happened in January. What else happened in that okay, first six then, months of 2014? Uh, yeah, then uh, in towards the end of March, she came down with pneumonia. So she was hospitalized again with pneumonia and was in for about a week I think and then in May May 2nd I think she broke her hip we got her through that as well and she was she eventually I don't don't remember the time frame a matter of weeks that she was able to walk with a walker again and so that was good she never did get away from the walker after that 
You had to help her with, you know, like I said, with the bathroom and with showers and all that kind of stuff. She didn't do anything on her own. She was able to, after the feeding tube stayed in, and I think it came out probably when when she broke her hip. That We hadn't been actually using the feeding tube. It was been a long, many weeks since we used it because she, she ended up getting the swallow test at the hospital, and she was able to swallow again. And so she was able to eat. That was a wonderful celebration when she was able to eat again. She would talk when, when she was, had the feeding tube. She'd say, ask me to get her a cup of coffee or let's have a donut or something. And it was just heartbreaking. <laughs> I would have to kind of sidetrack her. And uh, it was you could sidetrack her pretty easily because she just... She just, her mind wasn't all there, so she didn't know when you were doing that. So, but I knew, and so it was just a really hard thing. But it was so, I was so excited when she got that, was able to eat again. When we first, when we brought her home and stuff, Janice and I, we were both staying there all the time, and we were taking turns. I'd get her in bed at night, and I had my little dog, my little dog Astro, stayed with me. I can just remember laying in that bed at night once I got Mom put to bed and how contented I was. At some point later in that year, was it later in 2014, that we were able to get caregivers Mm -hmm. to come in and help. And so they would come in. I think we ended up getting 40 hours or almost 40 hours a week of um, caregivers, and that was a pretty, pretty, because we went on Medicaid to, in order to do that, but that was the 40 hours, they, everybody was telling us that was really good, but it's just, cause, it's just because mother needed that kind of care. She could not stay by herself, ever. Some of the days were really rough. Sometimes she would, I mean, she'd see people that weren't there sometimes, or, you know, she'd see people sitting on the couch or, and, you know, I'd have people saying, you know, that means she may, may be getting close to her time, you know. And so. She'd hear things too, wouldn't she? She would hear things. She would hear music, which was kind of, kind of cool that she was hearing music. We sat outside on the deck one time and she was hearing music out in the yard somewhere. And I couldn't hear it. And I thought, darn I can't hear it (laughs) but she was always very she was just satisfied that's the thing I appreciated the most about whatever her illness was she was not for the most part not upset about things I mean she after when we finally had to transition into the nursing home she was getting to the point where she wasn't recognizing her home. She'd say, I'm ready to go home. And she'd be sitting in her home. And I never could really determine what she was thinking, what home she was thinking about. You know, Amber had a theory about that. My sister, your daughter. (laughs) And Amber said, just, you know, matter-of-factly, Mom, I don't think she's talking about home. I think she's talking about where Grandpa, wherever Grandpa is. Wherever Grandpa is. Because when, you know, that was the other thing. She 
constantly would look for him. Yes. And, you know, I remember being there many times and her saying, well, I don't know where he went and when he's going to be back. And I would say, I wish I knew that answer too. <laughs> um, and realizing that I just had to go to where she was. And, and I know that you, I think you and Janice also kind of struggled a little bit with, because she would, she didn't, she did forget. We did struggle when she first started um, saying something about something about daddy being still with us, like he was still with us. Janice and I, at that point, were pretty new to how to deal with it. And we would want her to be in reality and know that he was not with us. And so Janice, at one point, uh, got the obituary and everything out to show her. And then it made her sad to see it. But then it was like she accepted it. But then just maybe two hours later, she would say something about him again as though he was with us. And so it didn't take us very long to realize that to try and uh, constantly be trying to bring her back into reality, the best thing to do was to just go along with whatever she was saying and just, you know, uh, if she asked where he was, you know, just say, I don't know, he'll probably be here pretty soon or just something like that. And then she wouldn't stay on it. Wasn't like she was worried about it all the time. So I feel very thankful that that was the case, too, that she wasn't always um, worried about him. I mean, do you think you did you guys feel, figure that out yourselves that you needed to meet somebody who was dealing like meet a person who has. I mean, was she ever diagnosed total, fully with di- dementia? The, it, it, doc, never. Her doctor never did really diagnose her, and she really wasn't on any kind of medication for mm-hmm. anything like that. We just, I mean, we knew, we knew this was dementia. We knew this was, yes. you know, old age yes. and, you know, the mind. Um, but had you talked to anybody or did you, was this all trial and error? Did anybody um, ever say, meet them where they are, go, you know, and, and, I just accept their re- think I maybe put something on Facebook and I think there was someone who had dealt with that and she told me the be- what we all here's how she didn't say this is what you should do she said this is what we did we just went along with it because we found out that was the best way to keep them from getting upset and it was less argumentation and less oh my gosh. because I it mean, just... as much as you loved her, there was a lot of, I mean, that those things would get pretty heated sometimes if you were yeah. having to go back and forth to talk about what reality is. Yes. And that would have wore everybody out. And that it's just nonsense to do that. Just to be, to be, just join their world wherever they are. That's what worked with her the best. Just be wherever she was. Do you think that started taking a toll on you, though? <laughs> did you not? Did you know what world you were in? <laughs> you know, that's a good question. <laughs> I may, <laughs> I, I probably was losing it more than what I knew, but you don't know you're losing it when you're losing <laughs> it. I do know, you know, that my health. I remember um, this when it finally really hit me. 
to tell me I had to do something. I was there, I think it was on a Sunday morning. This was just a little while before we placed her. In, in, and I, for some, there was something going on with me where um, air would get trapped in my esophagus or something. And so when I would swallow or something, it, there would be air. So I would have to just kind of get myself calmed down. We were going back out the door of the bathroom. She was on her walker, with her walker. And I felt like I couldn't breathe. And I left her standing there. And I went running down the hallway, yelling. Well, obviously I could breathe because I was able to yell. So I was breathing. But in the process of yelling, because I was scared to death, I mm-hmm. thought I was dying. Mm-hmm. When you deal with stuff like that, I think that's what you start. You start thinking about death. And I thought I was going to die. And so it finally, I was able to, that it broke loose or whatever. And then I was okay. But it, it but I left my mother standing there, you know, and so I knew <laughs> at that was the point, you know, you have to have, you have to hit bottom, I guess, before you can figure things out. And, you know, I had a couple of times at the house when I had that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying to you, am I having a heart attack? What's going on? So I was starting to worry about myself. And so I realized that something was going to have to be done. And that's kind of the time when Amber and I were both asking the questions. And, you know, from my perspective, it was a asking when is the stopping point? When do you know, when do you know that this can't happen? And I remember the the lecture had been for a year. I can't lose you both at the same time. Yes. Those were the conversations I was having with everyone who would listen Um, and trying to do that as gently as possible with you (laughs) in your, what I perceived as a fragile state. Um, You were strong for her, but I didn't know how strong you were going to be for yourself. Yeah, and it probably me. not very, I don't think I was. I think I was, I didn't realize how, you know. You weren't, I mean. I, I didn't just, have anything left to take care of me or, you know. Or anyone else. Yeah. I didn't think. Yeah. I mean, I was just really worried about how depleted you were. listening to This is Getting Old. I'm Erin Gibson. You can find This is Getting Old on Facebook by looking for This is Getting Old podcast. And if you'd like to share feedback, share your own story, or inquire about sponsoring the podcast, you can email podcast at gmail.com. In this episode, you've been hearing my interview with my mom last year about her experiences taking care of my grandmother in her later years. My mother moved into my grandmother's home to take care of her until she decided it was time for the next step. Here's that part of the story. I was jet lagged. Because we had just gotten back from Europe, and the first phone call I got the next morning was from you. And I hear, would you, 
would you go with me to check out this nursing home? Because I'm thinking about respite care for grandma. And I remember thinking, I've been talking to you about this for a year. <laughs> and you're choosing now <laughs> today to do this. And I'm like, I'm thinking how emotionally spent I already am. And physically tired. You needed to just and the first, and I just said, "Yeah." It was almost like, I think for me, what it had to be was like just ripping the bandaid off, and it was just really going to be what I thought it was going to be was thirty days because you can do a thirty day. They call it a respite care. You can do it and then bring them back out, and so that's what my plan was. I think just getting that little bit of a breather made me realize how far down I was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All that other stuff was hard. Um, Caring for her and living at her house and visiting my house, that was, I thought that was the hardest thing I'd ever done. But then putting her in that nursing home, I didn't think I was going to survive that because I could hardly stand it. I just couldn't hardly stand to think of someone else caring for her because I knew that they couldn't do it the way I would. (laughs) And so that was so very hard. But the way I, well, I did (laughs) with a little bit of help of Xanax. (laughs) Aaron actually had Xanax one day and I was losing it at the nursing home and She's, I think it was to prevent you from taking someone down or taking someone I outside was, for oh fisticuffs. Because stuff had happened. I mean, when we first put her in there, it just wasn't going right. They just got their wires crossed. Things mom wasn't being taken care of the first. And I just thought, this is terrible. This is not working. And uh, you got their attention. I did. And I, <laughs> I have a sense. I apologized to every one of them afterwards. <laughs> And they all, they said, well, if that would have been my mama, I would have been doing the same thing. So it took you some time to get to that point. And so you were, I saw a a, a switch flip with you. And I think it was the stronger you were getting, the more, the better you were feeling about yourself and the more rested you were becoming, I think. And the more you started realizing that you needed to start working with them instead of against them. And I don't not saying you ever were oppositional and like working against them, but um, you know everything that happened. I mean, let's describe a few of the things early on. I mean, some of some of the things early on needed to be corrected, right? Yes, and I can't remember all of them. I know there were one time her dentures weren't in, and it was in the afternoon. Yes, and she needs her dentures to eat, and. Um, and to have no, there was really no, discri- no nobody was able to say. Would, um, ask somebody about something, the answer you would get is not, it, it, it should have been, oh, I am so sorry that it should not have happened. That's what it would have been. And that's what would have comforted me. But I would get, I wasn't here this morning. I'm not the one that took care of her this morning. That's all I would get. So that's where my frustration was. Because you didn't know if there was going to be solved for the next day. I think that was the main thing. What else was there? Um, I think we had a hard time adjusting to that she was going to just roam the hallways. Yes. (laughs) 
Walking into her room and not seeing her there was a little disconcerting. Yes, because she would take her wheelchair up and down those halls. You never knew where she was. I'd come in there to visit. Where's mom? Oh, well, I don't know. She was right. She was just right there. I mean, she was fast. She... Her legs were so she'd strong. Do she do the legs, and she, she would, would use her use feet. that um, the railings along the wall to pull herself, and she could get lickety split down the hall. She went down every hallway. Sometimes went into some residence she rooms. She went into some residence rooms. One time, she went into the residence room, and the bathroom door shut because the bathroom go- you know the bathroom door shut because she opened the other door. And there was a resident in the bathroom. She was sitting in front of the door. He was yelling. It was a guy. He was yelling to get out. And he was so mad because he couldn't get out. She so trapped him in his bathroom. <laughs> and she would never have done that. You know, you know, She'd feel terrible if she, she knew that. She would feel horrible. Do you think you were having to overcome when you finally would get her moved in? I mean, did you feel, did you have some stigmas about uh, I, those yes, kinds of places? I did. I, I did. Uh, nursing homes just never seemed like they were, you know, it's like you put people there, they're la- that's their last place to be. And you're like, uh, you don't even want to think about, you know, mm-hmm. that. Um, but I changed my mind or, about it. And the way I did that was getting to know her caretakers there, caregivers there, getting close with them and some of the residents. And the thing that really <laughs> did it for me to help me accept it was I saw how my mother affected the people that were taking care of her and the other residents. I mean, I can go back today And those who were there when my mom was there will still talk so lovingly. And so they were just amazed at mom. I just had to let go. That's what it was. I had to let go of the reins Mm -hmm. and know that, no, they're not taking care of her the way I would take care of her. But she, oh, my God, the people that took care of her loved her. And that's what made a difference when I knew that her heart was touching the hearts of so many people. I finally saw it. I thought, I did not know why she had to come in here. But I realized that she just needed to love a few more people. The reason I want to tell these stories is sitting in that room with her. And I remember a moment in that first week of, probably when I had to hand you a Xanax because (laughs) you were about to take a nurse down about something. And um, her name was Mary. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you remember it. I'm glad you remember. Nurse and we became very, very good (laughs) friends. And I remember sitting there and kind of like at my moment uh, in in that moment, my, I saw the look on her face and I saw the look on your face. And I was thinking about, um, walking up and down those hallways and thinking about every room in that hall. And I, I could see in her face that most of other, her other residents, they didn't have a family member in there fighting for their family member. And I kept thinking about the stories 
that were in every room of that facility. And then I thought, thought about the number of facilities in our city and in our state and across this country. And, you know, the story you hear is how many people go in and don't have visitors and family to look out after them. And so I started thinking then about the caregivers in each one of those places. So I wanted to know the family stories and I wanted to know the caregivers stories. Um, and watching your relationship with the caregivers <laughs> through, um, those months that grandma was there, um, solidified that in my mind. And I even started, I think at that time, kind of mapping out what a podcast or something could look like in trying to do that. I observed some of the same things that you had as far as there being lonely people there that families weren't visiting them I am so glad you are doing this because I think we can make a difference in people in in their lives I mean it's good that you saw the caregiver's face as I was, (laughs) you know, that you could be Mm -hmm. aware of that and not just be, you know. um, I was upset too, but I was also empathetic, you know, um, because I kept thinking she didn't have to have this conversation next door. And that upset me to a really deep level. Oh my gosh. When I thought about that, because I kept thinking she doesn't have a Darlene standing here in her face next door. And it didn't mean that that person wasn't getting care, but that person certainly had less care than my grandmother did. They need advocates. They need people who care, you know, and they should not just be there and be forgotten. Mm. And they need someone to care about them. Thanks for listening to This Is Getting Old. Like us on Facebook, just search for This Is Getting Old Podcast. And to give feedback, recommend guests, or to sponsor the podcast, send us an email at tigopodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Erin Gibson.